You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. The Danish folktale author Hans Christian Andersen published this short story called The Emperor's New Clothes in 1837. Perhaps you've heard of it. Since then, it's been translated into over 100 languages and is fairly well known in most of the world. The tale tells the story of two swindlers who arrive in the capital city of an emperor who is obsessed with his abundance, especially his clothes. And the swindlers come up with this scheme where they decide to pose as weavers, traveling weavers, and in a meeting with the emperor, they tell him that they can weave him some incredible clothes, the best clothes. And the amazing thing about these clothes is that they're magic. And the magic of these clothes is that they are invisible to anyone who is a fool or incompetent. Well, the emperor is excited by this magic, and he loves clothes, and so he hires them, and they go about their work. Various officials and the emperor himself visit the weavers as they proceed um, in their work. And they have these big looms. And uh, as the officials go and watch the work, they don't see anything. But the weavers make a big show of how impressive the uh, garments are and the the individual threads and all the colors. And each one, not wanting to seem foolish or incompetent, pretend to see these amazing garments being made. Well, finally, the weavers finish the work, and they send for the emperor, and he arrives, and they tell him to remove his clothes so that they can put on the special ones. And they mime dressing him. They make a big show of putting on the big heavy robe and the pants and the big socks. And he sets off in this royal procession uh, through the city in his magical clothes. And uh, the townspeople, as they see this procession, initially go along with the charade because they don't want to be fools either. And so they're, they're ooing and eyeing. And everything is proceeding swimmingly until a child blurts out, But he's got nothing on! Laughing, the people realize that they've been duped. And the emperor, you know, proceeds on as proud as ever. Well, in our passage today, we're going to see the lukewarm church of Laodicea behaving collectively like the emperor with no clothes. They believe that they are rich, that they have it all. But Jesus firmly reminds this church that in reality, they've got nothing on at all. So in this seventh and final letter of Christ to the churches of Revelation, my aim this morning is to draw our attention to the concerning parallels between the sickness of a prosperous church in the first century and the disease that is ravaging the church today in the most prosperous country of all time. 
But we're also going to look at the hope for Laodicea, which is ours as well. So we're going to do this today by walking through first the presenting symptom, second the underlying disease, and then third the surprising solution. So the presenting symptom, the underlying disease, and the surprising solution. Before we dive in, why don't you, would you pray with me one more time? Lord Jesus, would you give us ears, ears to hear what your spirit says to the churches and what you're saying to our church, what you're saying to us individually in this text this morning. Help us to hear your voice and to open the door to you. Amen. All right. So why don't you grab your Bible and look at verses 15 and 16. So this is the presenting symptom. Jesus says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus, he saves his most blistering rebuke of all the churches for last here. The works of the Laodicean church are neither hot nor cold. Their affections are bland, indifferent, apathetic, and they lead to listless, half-hearted deeds. He says, I know your works. But it's lukewarm. The, The coffee... It was supposed to be piping hot. And instead, it's just kind of nasty, lukewarm. You guys know how that tastes. It's not good. The ice cream, it was supposed to be refreshingly cold. And instead, it has melted into a puddle of sugary muck. This is not good. We know this. This is very disappointing when you are expecting something to be hot or you are expecting something to be cold And it's just, and Jesus says, essentially, you make me sick. It's, it's disgusting. I will spit you out. But what does that really mean? What does it mean to be lukewarm? What does it look like? Well, looking at the context of this passage, we can see that just a few verses later, Jesus is exhorting the church to do something. In verse 19, he says, be zealous. Be zealous. And we can understand that being lukewarm is essentially the opposite of of being zealous. And that word zealous in the Greek, it actually carries with it an element of temperature. It's interesting. It means to burn or to boil intensely, to be warm in affection, to desire to covet earnestly. And what are they meant to burn, to boil, to be warm towards? Or who are they meant to burn or or to be warm towards? Jesus. They're meant to be warm towards Jesus. And right now, Jesus is not even inside the church. He's not even in there. He doesn't occupy the center of their lives or their hearts. And we know this because in verse 20, it says he's standing at the door and knocking. He's not on the inside trying to get out. He's trying to get in. He's on the outside of this church. So the essence of being lukewarm 
neither hot nor cold, is ultimately about the heart's affections for Jesus. And for this church, their affections have dried up. They're neither excited nor repulsed by the gospel or its conqueror. They might be respectable, knowledgeable, successful, outwardly impressive, but like that first letter to Ephesus, they have abandoned their first love. And being lukewarm, just kind of floating aimlessly in the middle, it might seem like, oh, what's, what's the problem with this? It's just, you know, we're just cool. You know, we're right in the middle. We're not, we're not, an, we're not extremists. But it's actually the most dangerous place that you can be. Obviously, it's worse than being hot in this scenario, to be affectionate intensely towards Christ. But Jesus says it's also worse than being cold. It's worse to be lukewarm than to be cold. Now, how is that? That doesn't make sense initially, to be cold. That's, I mean, that's like hatred, right? But if you're cold, you can at least feel that temperature. I mean, we know that <laughs> today uh, more than anything. I mean, it's negative 35 today. You can feel when it's cold. You, you shiver. Your teeth chatter. Your nose hairs freeze. You can feel being cold. But if you're lukewarm, and it's just like that nice temperature, we can't feel it, you can't feel it. You don't even know. You don't even realize when you are lukewarm the situation that you are in. And that is incredibly dangerous. The distance between what you are and what you should be, you can't tell. The truth doesn't shake you. It doesn't thrill you. It merely slips off like water off a duck's back. So that's the presenting symptom. And it's an incredibly dangerous symptom because it means that our Savior will spit you out. But what's the cause? Like, how, how does this happen? I mean, they, they are a church. They're, they're one of the seven stars that's, that's, that is in Jesus' hand. How, how does this happen to them? How might it happen to us? So let's move to our second point, which is the underlying disease. This is verse 17. We start to get an idea of how this happens. Jesus goes on, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Before we go further, it's helpful to understand a little bit of background on this particular city where this church is. Laodicea was one of the wealthiest places in that part of the world. It derived its success from three main industries. Banking, including a gold exchange. Textiles, including this unique black wool. And medical. Uh, there was a renowned medical school in Laodicea where they produced this special eye ointment. This place was a hub of commercial financial 
and medical activity, and it was located on a profitable trade route. And it's very likely that the members of this church were very successful in their occupations. I mean, these people were doctors, they were bankers, they were merchants. They provided good things for the world around them. They excelled in what they were doing, and they were rewarded for that. We even have records of this major earthquake that happened in 60 AD, and all of the surrounding cities, other than Laodicea, took imperial aid from Rome. But Laodicea said, we don't need that. We got all we need right here. They, they actually rebuilt their city from their own wealth. They were the only city to reject that imperial aid. That gives you an idea of how wealthy they were. And so maybe, maybe it's starting to sound a little bit like Laodicea might have some parallels to the United States, to where we live. Successful, prosperous, titans of industry. When something bad happens, a disaster happens in the United States, we don't get bailed out by China. We don't ask for aid from other countries. We don't need it. We got enough wealth right here. So with that background, let's look back at the text. So the first thing to notice here is the incredible contrast between their assessment of themselves and Jesus' piercing understanding of the true reality. You say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Now, all three of those statements are connected to material wealth. Laodicea, they see themselves on top. They made it. From their vantage point, they've done well. So well, in fact, that there's nothing else that they even need. The bank account, it's got a few zeros on the end. The property is in good shape. The job is respectable and has growth potential. They are well supplied. But Christ comes in, and like the child in the story of the emperor, He points out that in reality, they have nothing. They have nothing at all. From his perspective, they are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What a chasm here between what they think and what really is the situation. And worst of all, they don't don't realize it. They don't see it. It's one thing to be a naked beggar, filthy, blind, pitied above all. It's another thing to be that beggar and to believe that you are a king. And so we get to the heart of the matter. Going back to our first question, how does one become lukewarm? How do you slip into room temperature? Well, one clue, based on what seems to have been happening in Laodicea is that worldly wealth and success can breed spiritual complacency and apathy. When we fail to find in Christ the source of all true splendor and wealth and vision, we forget our need for a rescuer. We get cozy in the world. Our eyes crushed, crust over and we, 
we stop really looking to the kingdom to come, the city beyond the sea, because the one where we are is pretty nice. We've made it quite comfortable. Why do we need heavenly riches if we've got all these riches here? On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. You will serve either God or money. You can't serve them both. So when we locate our ultimate hope and identity in worldly success and treasure, we open ourselves up to great loss. And as humans, we become like what we worship. You worship Christ, over time you will become more like him. And like him, probably your life will not be easy in this world. But worship money. Draw it near to your heart. And you will slowly become rigid and lifeless, like the digits in your bank account. So examine yourself. What causes your good and bad days? When you lose a material possession or the status that comes along with it, how do you respond? What drives you to go hot and cold? Achievement and success are not inherently evil, but if we determine our temperature based only on these earthly factors, we need to watch out. We need to watch our hearts closely because we want our temperature to be determined by our relationship to Christ. God is a consuming fire. If you get near to him, you can't not get warm. You can't. And so the situation here, though, appears to be fairly hopeless. The church is lukewarm and listless. They think that they're rich, but they're wretched and poor beyond belief. So what do we do? What is, what is to be done for them? Let's move to our final point. So this is the surprising solution, uh, verses 18 to 20. Let's look at 18 to 19 first. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So notice first here that Jesus counsels Laodicea to buy three items from him. But unlike the swindler's magical garments that they offer to the emperor, what Jesus is offering here are three of the most valuable and lasting possessions one could possibly own. 
But it's interesting because he speaks to this church where they are. In effect, he says, you want to buy your happiness? You've been shopping at the wrong stores. You can't get what I have shipped to you by Amazon. You can't sample it at Costco. You can't buy it off the end cap at Target. You can only get it from me. So what is Jesus offering them? Well, the background on Laodicea helps us a little bit again here. To the banking center with a prosperous gold exchange, the king offers divine gold. Gold refined by fire so that they can be truly rich. You want to be rich? Here's some gold refined by fire. Now, elsewhere in the book of Revelation, what, is this, what, what does this even mean? What is this gold refined by fire? Elsewhere in the book of Revelation, gold is often connected to the crown of life. Uh, Jesus offers it to Sardis in chapter 2, and he offers it to Philadelphia in chapter 3, that, the crown of life. It's a gold crown. In chapter 4, if you just uh, uh, scale down just a few verses, uh, verse 4 of chapter 4, we see a vision of 24 elders sitting on 24 thrones, and they've got golden crowns on their heads. And so Jesus offers this golden crown. He offers this gold to Laodicea, and it's a, crown, it's a gold that is well refined. It's been tested by the fire of trial and suffering on earth, not comfort and leisure. Just like Jesus himself earned his crown of glory. So that's first, the first item is gold refined by fire. The second item, again, remember this is, uh, these are textile merchants. They're trading in wool. They know garments. Jesus offers them white garments. White garments to cover their nakedness. Later in Revelation, we see that white garments, it represents righteousness, uh, an, an acceptable life, the robe of righteousness. Uh, you can see that in chapter 19, verse 8. And in chapter 7, we have that famous vision of the great multitude from every tribe and tongue and nation, and they're standing before the Lamb and the throne clothed in white robes. So Jesus is offering Laodicea a chance to belong to that number, to put on those white robes. And third to this renowned medical school. The great physician offers an eye ointment unlike anything that could be produced on earth because it produces sight that could never be taken from you to see the true things, the real things of the universe and to cure their spiritual blindness. So one of the surprising cures for lukewarmness is not an outright rejection of riches, necessarily. It's a currency exchange. Jesus is offering them heavenly, everlasting riches in place of the temporary, material, physical wealth that they have currently. And 
It really does involve a true change, though. And it's not just like, you know, Jesus saying, pay me for these things. Pay me with your, with your dollars. Um, that's not how it works. How does it work? Uh, verse 19, Jesus says, be zealous and repent. All you have to do is turn. Turn away from the false hope of worldly success, achievement, wealth, riches, and turn instead to me. Turn instead to Jesus and the riches that come from a relationship with him. So the first cure for lukewarmness and spiritual complacency is a renewed understanding of our situation without Christ as pitiful beggars and a zealous pursuit of the Prince of Heaven and everything that he offers to us. But there's a second part of the cure. It's in verse 20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So listen to what Jesus is saying here. Again, because this church is lukewarm, apathetic, materially wealthy, spiritually poor, Jesus is standing outside of the church. The king himself has been driven out in the cold. But he doesn't leave them. They drive him out and he doesn't go home. He stands outside the doors knocking. And it says he stands. He's fixed. He stands at the door knocking continually. Day after day, he doesn't give up. They might be lukewarm to him, but he remains warm in his affections for them. Even as they disappoint him, I will spit you out. Ugh. And yet, I'm still at your door. I'm knocking. So when we wander, Jesus is not like some guru up at the top of the mountain, forcing us to, to climb the mountain to him, to come find his door, to knock on his door. Please, please, please let me back in. He initiates to us just as he does in salvation. He initiates to us. He comes to our door. He comes to your door and he knocks. Open the door. All we have to do, all Laodicea has to do is hear his voice by his spirit and open the door. So as we conclude this section, the main point is this. The main point is that more communion with Christ is the ultimate cure for spiritual complacency. More communion with Christ is the ultimate cure to the disease of apathy and lukewarmness. Jesus says, I'll come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So what has your communion with Christ looked like this year?
Is your prayer life marked by a litany of requests only? Things that you want from him, circumstances that you want to change. Do you want things from him or do you want him? What has your time in the word been like? What are your intentions? Have you spent time seeking him, seeking to know him deeper? Pastor David uh, summarizes the solution well in his book, Habits of Grace. We can grow in communion with Christ by doing three things. Hear his voice in his word. Have his ear in prayer. And belong to his body in fellowship. Hear his voice in the word. Have his ear in prayer. Belong to his body in fellowship. This is how we grow in communion with Christ. And in so doing, because of Christ, our great physician, the dangers of the disease of lukewarmness will fade away as our souls burn brightly in the presence of our King. Now, before we move to the table, just think finally for a moment with me about the trajectories in this text. This is the greatest rags to riches story of all time. Jesus offers the church of Laodicea and any of us who might bear a resemblance to them a chance out of the gutter. We begin poor, blind, dirty beggars on the street under a delusion of grandeur. And Jesus promises to the one who repents and conquers, in verse 21, a chance to sit with him on his throne. What? This is a real promise in the Bible. Sit with me on my throne, says the king of the universe, to a dirty beggar in a gutter. What? What kind of grace is this? This is preposterous. This is astounding. This is ridiculous. Who says this? This is not real. But it is. From the gutters of the earth to the throne in the high courts of heaven. How is this achieved? How is this warranted? How could this be? Well, it's because the prince of heaven, who was rich beyond imagination, he stepped down off of his throne. He stepped down off of his throne. He entered into this world. He inverted the story. He went from riches to rags. He allowed himself to be stripped naked, to be beaten into a pitiful pulp to be nailed on a cross like a wretched sinner. Jesus himself became poor, blind, naked, wretched. He gave up his riches, even eternal communion with his father because of his zealous, hot, intense affection for you and for the glory of God. Jesus is the one who, before we can buy things from him, 
He buys us with his own blood. He pays the ultimate price. His zealous affection, it transforms our affections. As we look at him and we see his affections for us, it changes our affections. And then we can cast down our golden crowns at his feet. And so he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. So at this table, and I invite the, the band and the, the pastors to come up. At this table, we are opening the door to Christ and eating with him. And so if you have heard his voice and opened the door and trusted Jesus for forgiveness and for life everlasting, we invite you to eat and drink with us. The pastors are going to come and distribute. Um, we'll walk around. Just, just put out your hands um, and we'll, we'll drop the, the bread and the drink in there. It's gluten-free bread and grape juice. Um, and we'll, we'll all eat together. His body is the true bread and his blood is the true drink. Let us serve you.